Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. In the prayer just before the service, we always meet in the choir room to pray. Someone prayed about the impact of Easter, that there would be an impact of Easter on people's lives. So we look at this morning's scripture, and then we we, uh, carry on into that very first Easter. We remember that on the uh, early in the morning on that first Easter Sunday, the women had made their way to the tomb while it was still very dark, and they had found the tomb empty. They ran and told the disciples. Peter and John ran to the tomb. They found it empty, and they found the empty linen wrappings, the grave cloths there uh, where Jesus' body had been. And if you were here last Sunday, we talked about Mary Magdalene crying outside the empty tomb. And Jesus was right there beside her, but through her tears, she didn't recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. And so we looked at two questions that Jesus asked her. Why are you crying? And who are you looking for? So if you want to pick up that message and you missed it last week, it is on our website. So now it is coming to the close of the day. And we are told that two more of Jesus' followers are walking along what we call the road to Emmaus. Biblical scholars tell us that at a level of drama, this story has it all. We have two people experiencing sorrow. There is suspense. There is confusion. There is puzzlement. And then a gradual dawning of understanding. They start to get it. And then in the second half this morning, the unexpected happens, and it ends with a flurry of excitement and activity. Scholars also say that this passage is a model of what being a follower of Jesus from that day until this is all about. Take a moment with me to pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into this passage of Scripture, would you open it to our understanding? I pray that you will keep me behind the cross and diminish me so that we can see and hear from you and that, Lord, we can understand and that you would work this passage into our lives for application as Christians. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verses 13 to 14. That same day, still the first Easter, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. I had always thought that it was two men who were walking along that road to Emmaus, but not necessarily so. Only one name is given to us, Cleopas. Jesus had an aunt, Mary, an aunt Mary, married to Clopas, the same name. So scholars believe there's a strong possibility that this was a husband and wife who were walking along that road, but we don't know for sure. But we do have them walking away from Jerusalem. They've heard that the tomb is empty, but they're leaving. The village of Emmaus is seven miles away from Jerusalem, a good 11 kilometers, a fair walk. They're going home. And we might wonder if they just want to get away from it all. So much has happened on this first Easter weekend. 
As a bit of humor, there was one day this week that I said to Shannon, it's one of those days. I wish I could just curl up in a corner and pull a blanket over my head and pretend this is not happening. And we laughed about that. And if you happen to see any blankets and pillows tucked in the corner of the office, it's for Shannon and I for those days. But this was so much more serious. They were making their way home. And maybe they felt that way. They just want to get a blanket over their head and forget what had gone on. The crucifixion, their loving Lord. They just want to get back to work, try to get back to normal, whatever normal might look like for them now. Just need to get away. Process everything. So they're into a serious, intense talk. So verses 15 to 16, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Here we find some of that suspense. A stranger comes up along beside them. And there were lots of people there in Jerusalem for the Passover. Some of them would be making their way home, walking along. Anyone could have walked up and started to pass by them. But they start to openly talk to him. And it gives us a sense of their distress because they don't use any caution. This man could have been a spy, trying to seek out any of Jesus' followers. But they don't recognize Jesus. And biblical scholars do tell us that the sun, the setting sun especially, is so intense in that area that in North America we don't have a concept of how strong that could be. It very well could have blinded them. But by, the Bible does tell us God kept them from recognizing that this was Jesus. So as we read this, we might ask, why? Why did you do that, God? Was there something about their reaction that if they knew this was Jesus, there might be a lesson that they wouldn't learn? And it happens to us today, doesn't it? When there are things that we cannot see, we cannot understand, and we ask, why, God? Why won't you help us to understand now? But maybe he knows there are things that he needs to reveal to us later, lessons that we will learn as we go through. Well, verses 17 to 19, the stranger asks them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stop short, sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened these last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. Cleopas and whoever is with him are so very sad. As we read these verses from different translations of the Bible, we get different descriptives of, of how they look. One translation says their faces are downcast. Another, sadness is written across their faces. One says they look like they've lost their best friend. Another says their faces are twisted with grief. Let's take a, a moment to look at ourselves here. If I asked us to raise our hands, and I'm not asking you to do that this morning, but if I asked you to put up your hand to one of three questions, I wonder how many hands would go up. If I asked, first of all, how many of us here are trying to make sense out of a situation in our lives, wondering how to work it out, 
how to find some answers, some resolutions to struggle and confusion that we're going through. What if I were to ask how many of us would admit to having hearts that are heavy this morning? Or number three, how many of us would admit that we are wondering what is ahead? Where am I going? What's going to happen? I can't see into tomorrow. It would probably be easier to count the hands that stayed down rather than the hands that were raised. But getting back into scripture, they say to the stranger, you must be the only one in all of Jerusalem who would have to ask what's going on, what's happening. And this is the one to whom it all happened. And yet he says to them, what things? And in that, we do hear a little bit of the mischievous, the humorous side of our Lord Jesus Christ. What things, he says. But more seriously, Jesus is doing what all good counselors do. He asks them, what things? In other words, tell me about it. Tell me about it. I'm going to stop here again. I know I'm starting and stopping like someone trying to learn how to drive a standard. I remember the story being told for many, many years when I was a little girl and there were no seat belts and I was standing on the floor of a front seat of our half-ton truck and my mother had her license but she didn't drive very often so she was practicing a bit and my dad was in the passenger side and the jerky starting and stopping and I just kept bumping my head on the dashboard and I just yelled out, Mommy, would you please let Daddy drive? And I realized that's what I'm doing a little bit of here this morning but sometimes we need to bump up as we go along gently to get the lessons from verses of scripture. So just as Jesus got them to tell him what had happened, we need to know that Jesus knows everything that's happening in our lives. Nothing surprises him. He's not in the dark about anything, but he wants us to tell him because he knows how much we need to do that. We need to sit and just say, Lord, this is what's going on in my life. This is how I feel. This is what it's doing to me, and I don't understand it. So these two people told Jesus, detail by detail, all that had happened and how they were feeling. And hear what they say to him, verses 19 to 21. He was the prophet, they said, who did powerful miracles, he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people, but our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. They crucified him. We had hoped, hear the dashing of the hopes, we had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Do you hear all the past tense? He was a great leader, they're saying. He did heal people, the lame, the blind, even brought people back to life. He did do great miracles. He used to draw crowds. He used to speak with such great authority. And I love to fill in some of the blanks in Scripture, not to add to Scripture, but just what we have from God's whole word. We can imagine them adding things like, Jesus wasn't like the Pharisees. He ate and he drank and he spent time with those that the Pharisees would shun. But they might have said to Jesus, make no mistake, the Jesus we were following, with, following was tough on sin. He did not condone sin for a minute. He was merciful, though, 
He was passionate. So they put him to death. The religious leaders were jealous of him. They hated him. He was a threat to their power. They tortured him. It was awful. He was crucified. We had great hope, they said. We had put all of our hope in him to save us, to be our king. Why didn't he put a stop to it? It's not making sense to us at all. And then they continued to tell Jesus what had been so confusing in the last three days, verses 22 to 24. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Finally, Jesus speaks into the situation. Verses 25 to 27, he says, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe that the prophets wrote all of this in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The message translation says that Jesus looks at them and says, You are so thick-headed, so slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophets have said? For centuries, the prophets had written about the Messiah and all that would happen to him. They knew their scripture. And Jesus had been telling his followers what was going to happen to them. Surely they should know this. I have a beautiful pamphlet. It just stretches out. It unfolds. One hundred prophecies in that pamphlet. There are columns showing the prophecy of the Messiah that God had promised, a column that says where you would find it in what we call the Old Testament or the First Testament before Jesus came, and then the verses in the New Testament of how it was all fulfilled in Jesus. You'll probably hear me say it over coming Sundays. I don't believe there's a fiction writer in the world who ever could have written our Bible. It is so intricate of Jesus fulfilling all of God's prophecies. So we would ask, why weren't they getting it? They really do seem rather thick-headed to us. But as we look at these two followers of Jesus and the other disciples, and if we point a finger at them, we've got three fingers pointing right back at ourselves, don't we? Because how many times does Jesus say to us, I've always been faithful to you. I promise that I will never leave you. I level mountains. I make crooked roads straight for you. I go ahead and I prepare the way for you. I've got a plan for your life, and I will take you by the hand. And I've left the Holy Spirit to teach you and to guide you. Why do I have to keep reminding you? Why are you not trusting me? Do you hear the similarity of us and these two people on that road? But Jesus is so patient with us. Well, the story continues. They uh, reach a turn-off to go into the village of Emmaus, and Jesus starts to walk on. 
Verses 28 and 29, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. I've always loved this. I find it very significant. Jesus did not say to them, since we are so near to your home and it's time for dinner and I'm hungry and it's getting very late, the least you could do is invite me in for a bite to eat and invite me to stay the night. That's not Jesus. Jesus is not pushy. He's not overbearing. Jesus does not do guilt trips. He offers us the most valuable relationship and the very best news. But the decision is ours. For some reason that really we will never understand, our loving God, who is in control of all things, gives us the choice to love him or reject him. A gift of choice. It's a gift that God has given us that must break his heart when we reject him and turn our backs on him. Back into our passage of scripture, they invite Jesus. He goes with them to their home. Verses 30 to 31, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. And there they sit, two of them at a table, looking at each other, speechless. And it starts to sink in. That was Jesus. Verses 32 to 34, they say to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem, and there they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord really has risen. He appeared to Peter. What a walk back it might have, must have been for those two people. 11 kilometers in the dark, it's getting late now, but probably running more than walking. And they find the 11 disciples and they find the other followers. And we can just hear them all talking at once and we don't know who said what first, interrupting one another. And they're being told the story that Peter has seen Jesus and that's a sequel. Come on back next week to hear about that. And then they're trying to tell their story of what's happened. The excitement in that room. And just when they think they can hardly stand it, we have the rest of the passage, and I'll read this as a whole piece from Scripture, verses 35 to 49. The two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road, how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking that they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. Make sure that I'm not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still. They stood in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And then he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he ate it as they watched. And then he said, when I was with you before, 
I told you that everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as the Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. What a day it had been. The empty tomb. The living Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene. The living Jesus appearing to Peter. The living Jesus appearing to these two people on the road to Emmaus. And now he stands in their midst and his very first words, so beautiful, peace, peace. Look at me, he says. Touch me. I wonder if anybody did. I wonder if anybody had the courage to reach out, maybe even just touch his arm. So scared to do that. Is this a ghost in front of them? And then he says, give me some food, because ghosts do not eat. And they couldn't believe it. They wanted to. There was joy and wonder. And then Jesus took the time to explain everything all over again. Well, what's our takeaway this morning? What do we need to hear? Well, paraphrasing from biblical scholars, we have in this story the loss of hope at the beginning. People trying to talk it out, trying to put the pieces of the puzzle into place, but they're just not fitting until they finally receive from Scripture and from Jesus the keys to unlock the mysteries, finding the truth, experiencing Jesus himself present with them, warming their hearts with that truth, showing them himself. Isn't that what we need to grasp this morning? In the face of so much that is wrong in our world and so much that is wrong in our churches and so much that's wrong in our own lives, we can bring our lives, we can bring our problems, we can bring our questions to Jesus. The impact of Easter for us today is that it was God's plan to send his only son to walk this earth, to show us what God is like, to teach us, to do miracles, but then to die, and by the power of the Holy Spirit to be raised again, to bring us all into relationship with God himself. The impact of Easter for us today is that Jesus laid down his life voluntarily. He prayed the night before, Father, please, if there can be another way, but not my will, I submit to yours. And he took the world's suffering, your suffering, my suffering, onto himself and died under that weight. But he rose again. The impact of Easter is that that good news is for each and every one of us, for you and for me, and not one person is excluded. The impact of Easter is freedom, freedom from regrets, freedom from the past, Freedom from the fear of the future. Freedom from emptiness. It's forgiveness. 
when we simply admit that we cannot stand in the presence of God because we just fall short of God's glory, we do have sin in our lives. When we admit to that and say that we're sorry, that we've been trying to do it on our own, that's not working for us. When we say, God, I'm sorry, I want to turn around. I want you to be Lord from now on. And he receives us into relationship with himself. The impact of Easter is that just as their hearts burned within them, as Jesus explained the scriptures, Jesus has left the Holy Spirit so that we can understand scriptures today. When we sit down with our Bibles and ask the Holy Spirit to open scripture up to us, he will, and the words will come right off the page, into our minds, into our hearts, and into our lives. The impact of Easter is hope. Hope for something more for our lives today. Hope for a future with him. Hope for all eternity. You know, it's all simple enough for a child to understand. A young child hearing about that love of Jesus can understand it. It's not complicated. And yet it's so profound that you and I could study it for the rest of our lives and not even scratch the surface of who our great God is. We each walk a road to Emmaus. Each and every one of us has days and times and seasons of discouragement and questions where Jesus wants to come alongside and walk with us and help us to understand and give us hope. Our church has the road to Emmaus, days and times and seasons of discouragement and questions where Jesus wants to come alongside us and walk with us and help us understand and give us hope. And he gives us a choice, you and me and us as a church. Will we just let him walk on by or are we going to invite him in? My prayer this morning is that you and I and us as a church will invite Jesus into where we live, into where we worship, that we will experience the impact of Easter, that we will make the choice, the best decision we could ever make to invite him into our lives and into our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that something from this message, from your word, from your teaching, that will touch our hearts this morning. And Lord, for those who have not said yes to you, or those who maybe just need to renew their relationship, work in our hearts. Help us to do that. Help us to say yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.